our copy of God's Word to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. We'll be finishing this letter this morning. And as the kids are working their way out, and while you are turning there, you may have noticed there that we have been building a, a fortress up here. Reminds me of being a kid. We're building a wall up here. So if, if anyone has any of the, the shoe boxes still, what we're doing this morning is, even if you're not familiar with what these are, you may not be. So in each of these boxes is a collection of, uh, of toys, of, of needed items, clothes, toothbrushes, toothpaste, a gospel presentation, who the Lord is, what he's like. So in a few weeks, one of these boxes will end up in the, in the hands of some child somewhere around this world, many of them in orphanages, many of them have never heard the gospel before. So you look up here, you see a shoebox, and yet God sees something so much more, and God will use each of these in ways that I think we can't even fathom. So for those of you who, who purchased, who bought, who put one of these together and is sending one out, thank you. I do believe that you will get to heaven one day, and there's a great chance you will meet some child who said, that's when I first heard. That's when I first saw Christ. We have a friend, a girl that I actually married, she and her husband, in a ceremony a few years ago. That was her story. She was in a Romanian orphanage, and God used one of these for her to see Christ for the first time. And there she was in our church in Atlanta. God uses them. And so here in a moment, we are going to pray for those. Uh, by way of announcements, there will be no Wednesday activities this week. So nothing here Wednesday evening. If you show up at 5 or 6 this week, you can pray outside for the doors will be locked. This coming week, you will receive the new deacon nominations. And then on December 4th, so two weeks from today, we will be voting on those as a congregation. So when you receive that list, pray through it. Pray for those men. Pray for wisdom in the decisions that we make as a church for these, these positions, these roles in the church. They matter. God uses them. Lastly, on December 8th, which is a Thursday at 6 p.m., there will be a, a, a ladies' favorite things Christmas party. So mark your calendars, ladies, for Thursday, December 8th at 6 p.m., Guys, mark your calendars so that you will know you have kid duty or you need to be home in time for your wife to get to that event, okay? Um, it, you'll, you'll be hearing more about that over the coming weeks, but for now, we are in need of six ladies who will be willing to decorate a table for that event. So if you are willing to do that, please find Paula Fleming, whose birthday is today, by the way. I don't think she's here, but as you think of her, pray for her, maybe reach out to her, and she can get you signed up for that, or you can call the office. Deal? You men that are nodding your heads, you heard your part, okay? 1 John chapter 5. So last week, we did not get through the section we had planned. So I want us to begin reading today, starting at verse 16. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 16, and we will read through the end of this book. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. 
I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. We thank you that you are the true God, and we have come this morning to worship you and to hear from you, to be changed by you. So, Lord, we pray that you would meet with us in power this morning, that you would show us who you are. Lord, I want to pray for not simply these boxes that are scattered around this church right now, I want to pray for the hands that will hold these boxes, for the children that will open these boxes. I pray, Lord, that sovereignly you would take each of these boxes and the needs that those kids have would be the the box that they get, that their needs physically would be met. That, Lord, as they open these boxes, they would find joy in the items that, that some believer somewhere around this world has provided for them. But, Lord, may it be so much more. I pray that, Lord, the joy in the items would lead them to open up the book that they get, to read your word, to read your gospel. I pray that, Lord, you would not only have them opening the box, but you would open their eyes and their ears and their minds and their hearts to your gospel, to the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would save them. Lord, work through these in ways that we can't imagine. Lord, I thank you that holidays are here. Thanksgiving is this week. Lord, make us a people whose heart are turned towards gratitude, whose eyes are turned to seeing the blessings that you have given to us, none of which we have earned. Lord, I thank you that Christmas is coming as we celebrate the Advent, the coming of Jesus, the Christ, our Christ, your Savior that you sent into this world for people like us. Lord, may we find joy in this good news. But I also pray, Lord, because I know that there are people in this room and family members of those in this room, they are dreading this time. They know this will be a hard time. This may be a first Christmas without a husband or a wife, a child, a sibling, a parent. And so, Lord, we pray you are the Prince of Peace, the God of all peace. I pray that you would bring peace and comfort and hope, not only to the lives of those celebrating Christmas, but those who are looking toward it with a sense of dread and sadness. Lord, show yourself as God, we pray. And that is our prayer this morning. May we see you rightly. May it lead us to worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Okay, so what's going on? I had one guy come up to me and he said, hey, come on, I know why you skipped that section last week. That's a hard section. You just didn't want to touch it, did you? So let's start out of that one today. How about it? What is happening in verses 16 and 17? What in the world does he mean with this sin leading to death and sin not leading to death? And we can pray for that or we don't have to pray for that. Is this person a brother or does he just appear to be a brother? What kind of death are we talking about? Physical death, spiritual death? These are all questions that I think we have. And I think we have a few options in what this actually means. But I want to take one of them off the table immediately. And if you're thinking this one, I want us to just take it. I want us to wad it up and throw it into the trash. Is John saying here that a true believer in Christ, a true brother, Someone who is actually trusting in Christ as their Savior can sin in such a way that they lose their salvation and spend eternity in hell. No. Not possible. Can't happen. How do we know? Because salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. That He does it. He saves. He does this work in us. And the work that he begins, he always finishes. That's why Philippians 1.6 reads this. I'm sure of this, Paul writes. I know this to be true, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That God starts it, he will be faithful to finish it. Romans 8 says something very similar, that those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That you have a start that God does, and as he starts it, he carries it through. He does this. He does this. He does this, ending with the glorification of the believer. That as Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We go down just a few verses lower than that in Ephesians 1.13, and he says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed it. So when you heard the gospel and you believed it, you were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the what? The guarantee of our inheritance. What does all that mean? That when God begins our salvation, he completes it. That when he chooses us before the foundation of the world, he holds us throughout our time in this world. And that as we take our last breath here, he brings us home. So for the Christian, we can say that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That this is a promise. This is a guarantee, period. So there is no such thing as a true believer in Christ who loses their salvation. You may have heard it said, once saved, always saved. Once truly saved, you will always be truly saved. So what are the other options? That can't be what this means, that there is a true brother who has sinned and now he has died spiritually and will spend eternity in hell. What's the other options? 
is this. You either have someone who you thought was a believer, you thought they were a brother, they were in church when the doors were open, they sang the same songs, they sat under the same teaching, but then they commit the sin that leads to spiritual death. Now, what is the sin that leads to spiritual death? It's this, denying Christ. That when you deny Christ, you die in your sins. How do we gain life? Through faith in Christ. So how do we remain dead and die in our sin? Through denying Him. Through not looking to Him in faith. Through leaving Him. You remember how John said it earlier, they went out from us. They went out from the truth to show what? That they were, they were never of it. That it was never real in them. It was never true in them. They were never actually a brother or sister. That's one option this can mean. Or you have a true brother, someone who believes the gospel, who obeys God's commands, who loves the brothers and sisters. We've already said that a true brother can, like that cannot leave the faith, that God holds them securely and God finishes what he starts in them. So what does that leave us? That there can be a true brother or a true sister who sin in such a way that leads them not to spiritual death, but to physical death. That that can actually happen. Let's look at an example found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's going to be up on the, up on the screen. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he's writing to them, and you know the church in Corinth had a lot of issues. One of their issues was that when they were coming together for the Lord's Supper, there was such a great division among the people that you had wealthy Christians in that body and you had poor Christians in that body. They would come together for the Lord's Supper for the, this, this, this feast that they had, and the rich brothers would go ahead and eat all the food that they brought, and the poor brothers and sisters, they would go hungry. They would have nothing. And Paul's writing to them to say, look, the way you're doing this, where some eat and some go hungry, the church is clearly at odds with who God has called you to be. You've called, been called to come together as one body under Christ, and you are divided so much, you, 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 you hate each other so much, essentially, that some are eating, some are remaining hungry. And he says, this can't be. This can't be, and it's not a matter of indifference. This matters. And so in verse 29, he says this, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, you can read that text later in 1 Corinthians 11. It sounds like what he's saying is anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ, the people of God, if there is brokenness in that, the fellowship of the people eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he says this, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That God is taking this so seriously there that there is such sin among the believers in Corinth that God is just taking some of them home. That God's just taking some of them out of this world. Literally, you're dishonoring Christ in sin so some of you are weak. 
You're dishonoring Christ and sin. Some, some of you are ill. Some of you, God's just brought you home. That the way you're sinning, God has just said, come on home. You're done there. I'm going to bring you home. And as we see here, it's not meant to be that way. So brothers and sisters, don't, don't treat sin as if it doesn't matter. As if it's a matter of indifference. As if there are big sins you need to stay away from, but these little sins, they don't really matter. Here's the deal. No Christian wakes up and decides he's going to go to prison that day. That he's going to do something so drastic, so off the cuff, that everything's going to fall apart. No, it's pretty much always a slide of small sin after small sin after small sin and a hardening of the heart that's going to lead you to a place you never want to go. The big sins matter. But the small sins, those things that we think are respectable, that no one sees, that no one notices, they lead us a place you don't want to go. So what do we do? Brothers and sisters, here's what we're called to do. We're supposed to lock arms. I think I just said this to a guy in the back. We're supposed to lock arms. And we're supposed to fight the fight of faith together. Fight against our sin together to know that we are not alone in this. John continues and he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Why do we know that? How is this possible? Because he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. If you've been born of God, you've been made a new creation. That the Bible uses the word regeneration. You've been regenerated. And when that has happened, you will not keep on sinning. And what he means by that is your life won't be characterized by sin and by rebellion. Rather, your life will be characterized by righteousness and obedience. Will you do this perfectly? No. Is he saying that here's how you know a Christian, they are perfect in their behavior? Not at all. Rather, your life would be characterized by seeking obedience, seeking to follow the Lord. Will you fall? Absolutely. Will you fail? Without question. Will there be days where you choose sin? Yes, there will be. There will never be a day this side of heaven where you don't need Jesus and his righteousness just as much as you always have. But look what he says. He who was born of God protects you. That when you were made new and you trusted in Christ, you became his and he protects you. Now, this is nothing new. Think back to the Garden of Eden. So all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We come to chapter 3, and man and woman sin against God, and they become, because of their sins, separated from a holy God, that there is a division between holy God and sinful man, right? And God does this thing where we, he kicks them out of the garden. You remember that? And he kicks them out of the garden. And we always, it seems like we always think of that like that is punishment. That God is kicking them out of this garden, this perfect place because of a punishment. That you've lost God, so you've lost his garden too. But I want you to hear this in Genesis 3, 22. That's what it says. Then the Lord God said, 
Behold, the, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Did you catch that? Was it punishment? No. It was protection. That in their sin, if man and woman would have taken of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in separation to God, and God had something better for them. He had redemption in store for them that would start with death, but would end with resurrection. So notice what he says. We are going to put man out of the garden so that he does not take of the tree of life and eat and live forever in separation. We're going to protect him. We're even going to put a cherubim to the entrance and a flaming sword that looks every single way to protect them from that tree. Protection of God is nothing new. It's been going on since the very beginning. You see it in the life of Noah. God saved him and his family through the flood. You see it in the life of Abram and Moses. God came against Pharaoh with plagues. In Joshua, the Lord fought his battle with nothing but boots and a marching band. In Ruth, you saw God weaving together this beautiful tapestry of protection and providence that we looked at just a few months ago. David, a sling, a stone, a headshot. Daniel, angels surrounding him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Son of God, was in the fire with them. We could go on and on and on and see it on every single page. Romans 15.4 tells us this, whatever was written. So those stories we just talked about, anything that was written in here, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, through perseverance, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That all of this, that every story of God's sovereign protection and care for His own people is there for you. So that you will see it, so that you will hear it, so that you will read it, and so that you will know that God protects you. That the God who worked here is the God who works here. That the God who protected them is the God that protects you and me. He even does this by protecting us against ourselves from our temptation, from our sins. And when God protects you, he says, the evil one does not touch you. What do you think about that? Like, honestly, I read that and I think, just being honest, I, it doesn't feel like the evil one doesn't touch me. Do you, do you kind of feel that? It doesn't feel like he doesn't have a say over me or something. It sure feels like he gets his fingers into me sometimes. So I looked up the word that they translated touch. It's the word hopto. And it can mean to touch, but it can also mean to cling or to hold on to to grasp, and to keep. So what's he saying? 
God protects you. And the evil one has no hold on you. God protects you. And the evil one cannot cling to you. Sin does not have a hold on us. We've died to that. We've been made new. Christ came and set us free from sin and from death that He, by His Holy Spirit, has given you freedom. And He's made you new to where the old life of sin and rebellion just doesn't fit you anymore. It doesn't fill you anymore. It won't satisfy you anymore. It won't bring you joy. Now, does sin sometimes bring us pleasure? Yes. Short-term, not lasting pleasure. And it's a pleasure whose result and fruit is always misery for the Christian. Understand, brother and sister, John tells us that this whole world is in the power of the evil one. He's called the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. This world is called the dominion of darkness, that we are in this present evil age, and Satan is the god of this age. If you pay attention, you will notice that whatever the Bible says, the world says the opposite, doesn't it? That whatever the Bible says, even this nation is now saying the opposite. A nation that was at one point seeking to pursue God and see His law as the basis of ours. No more. The Bible says that His word is truth. And the world says there is no such thing as truth. There's your truth and my truth. It's all subjective. The Bible says that God created the male and female. The world says, mm, not so much. The Bible says, do not murder. And in last week's elections, you saw a large number, a large percentage of this nation saying that if an unwanted baby survives an abortion, has survived and is laying on that table, no one should help. Do you see those numbers? Shocking. The Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman. The world says, how hateful. God says, be fruitful and multiply. And the world says, humanity is destroying the planet. It is our duty to stop multiplying. It could go on and on and on. In Iran right now, there were some protests recently. We were talking about it in our staff meeting the other day. And, and there were many women who, and men and women who were rebelling against Islamic law of the land. And they were captured, they have been tortured, women included, and many of them have been put to death. Now, in Islam, you are not to put to death a pure virgin. So they're taking care of that so that they can kill them afterwards. This world is under the power of the evil one. It's where we are. For now, this world is the kingdom of Satan. And it is opposed to the kingdom of God in every single way. And yet you and I can be prone sometimes, even as Christians, to forget who we are. Can't we? To forget where we are, and to seek life and to seek joy and pleasure right here in this world. 
Some of you, you hear this message and you know it's what you need to hear because you need to be reminded that this world is in the power of, of Satan for now and that God will come back and redeem one day. You hear it and you know that you've sought your delight in disobedience. That you're trying to find life in the grave. You're trying to find freedom in the prison, light in the darkness. You're buying the marketing that Satan is kind of dangling before you. You've bit the hook of temptation that is right before your eyes. You've forgotten that he hates you. That the evil one despises you as a child of God and he wants to devour you. Some of you, you just, just being honest, you look like your bones are wasting away. And what I mean by that is the way David uses it when he says, when I clung to my sin, my bones wasted away. Some of you, you're, you're, you're chasing joy in this world and you're expecting to find that in this world and all you're finding is misery. Like you literally look like you're carrying the weight of the world and in a sense you are because you've bought the lie that life is found in this world and you're realizing that it's not. Some of you, you are a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter right now. You got what you wanted from God, and then you said, I'll take it from here. I've got this. I don't need you anymore. I want to try this world and see what it's like. I want to go, and I want to live in a foreign land just to see if it suits me. And the pleasure may have come. There may be these glimpses of pleasure that you're getting from it, but then you look around and that's gone. And the only thing you're surrounded right now by is pig slop. I don't even have to describe that that much because many of you know exactly what it's like because many of us have done that. We've tried it. Oh, and it left us empty and miserable. And I'm praying for you if that's where you are that you hear this and you say, you know what, my father's hired hands have plenty. They have no want. They don't live without how much more a son or a daughter. I'm praying that you hear that this world is in the power of the, of the evil one and you know that this is exactly what you need to hear and you wonder this, is this text or is this a call right here to crush you or to condemn you? To tell you you're worthless to tell you that you're a failure and shame on you. It's none of that. It's a call to come home. Shame is cheap. Shame is worthless. Shame doesn't work. But the wooing of a father does. So come home. Know that your heavenly father is waiting and he's watching, and as you repent of your sin and you turn from it, turn from your rebellion, and you come to him in confession, he will run to you, and he will wrap his arms around you, he will forgive you, he will cleanse you, he will be faithful to do that, and then he will throw a party. Why? Because the son or the daughter that was living as though they were dead has come back home again. The one that was living as though they were lost 
has been found again. Listen, this is true for all of us. Anyone who comes to Jesus in faith, knowing that his life, his death, and his resurrection on your behalf is the only way that you can be forgiven and made righteous, anyone who comes to him like that will be saved, will be forgiven, will be made new, made a son or a daughter. It doesn't matter where you've been and it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will save anyone who calls on him in faith. So if you've never done that, then today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So don't wait. Come to him. Come to him. If you want to talk to me about that, find me after the service and we'll have that conversation. Look how John ends this letter. Here's what we know. We know that the Son of God has come and He's given us understanding so that we know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true and in His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember how the letter started? John saying, I was there. I was there. I saw Him. I heard Him. I learned from Him. I walked with Him. I touched Him. And I'm telling you who He is. And now he ends this letter by saying, we know he has come. We know he has given us understanding. We know him who is true. We know that we are in him who is true. And what seems like a diversion and just this strange thing that he tacks on to the end of this letter is not that at all. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We know him who is true. We know the true God, and anything less than or other than from Him is an idol. Anyone less than the God who sent His Son Jesus to save sinners is an idol. Anyone other than the God preached by the apostles is an idol. And anything that you and I love more, pursue more, value more than God is an idol. So brothers and sisters, don't settle for less. You've been brought to the one true God. You've been saved by his, the blood of his very own son, so that as Ephesians 2 says, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. You've been saved, believer, by the one true God, so that for all eternity you will wonder and be amazed at his grace and his kindness. It's the point of 1 John that you will see him rightly, and that as you see him rightly, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. So, how will you leave this book? What do you need to believe that you haven't? Of what do you need to repent? God speaks. We listen. We believe. We obey. And God has spoken. So now let's take time to respond to Him. However you need to respond... Whatever it is he's calling you to, let's take that time right now. We're going to stand and sing here in a moment. 
If standing and singing is not the response you believe the Lord is calling you to, then don't stand and sing. If coming up here, talking to me, if you want that, I'm here. If you want to stay in your seat and talk to him, do that. Whatever it is to which the Lord is calling you, let's respond. Now let's pray and then we will sing together. Father, we thank you for this letter. We thank you that you have showed us the one true God. And not only that, you have sent your son Jesus to cleanse us from our sin, to break down the separation that existed between us and you, the division, the dividing wall. You've done that. So not only could we hear your word, but we could believe it and we could know you. Father, my prayer for us in this room is that we would know you. Not only know about you, that we would know you. So Lord, whatever it is that is keeping us from that, be it a sin that so easily entangles us, be it just an encumbrance or a weight that we are holding onto, whatever it is, may we cast those aside and run the race that is set before us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here that I don't have to run alone and they don't have to run alone. Lord, teach us to run together. Now, Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to, give us faith, humility, and strength to respond in obedience. In Christ's name, amen.